Jen, and welcome to Painted Red Quarterly Slush Pile. Um, we are discussing fiction for the second time, so I'm excited about that, our second short story. We have a smaller group than normal, and we are in the cinder block room of um, McAllister rather than our sound studio because we are still under construction there. So a couple of abnormal things are happening, but I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll muddle through. I'm Kathleen Volkmiller. I'm director of the graduate um, program in publishing here and co-editor of the Painted Red Quarterly. And um, in the room with me today is Tim Fitz. Hi, I'm Tim Fitz, and I teach here at Drexel University. I'm a fiction writer. I write short stories and novels. And sitting across from me is Caitlin. Hi, I'm Caitlin McLaughlin. I am the Digital Communications Co-op for Drexel Publishing Group. I'm an English major at Drexel University, and this is my ninth month reading with DBQ. Woohoo! Um, and we have one lone remote voice, Jason Schneiderman. Hello, I am Jason Schneiderman. I am Associate Editor at Painted Bride Quarterly. I am not coming to you today from Brooklyn. I'm actually in my office at the Borough of Manhattan Community College in lovely Tribeca. And I'm here because I'm actually having a two podcast today, a two podcast day. And after I record this, I'm going to be interviewed for a new podcast um, that Gabriela Garcia is doing called On Poetry. Very cool. That's exciting. Uh, we'll have to give them a nod on our uh, pages. Um, link them up. Let us. Are they doing what we did and recording several before they release? Are yeah, um, I think I'm number two, and then I'm not yeah. sure how many she wants to have together before she releases. But okay, we'll link it up as soon as they do. That's really exciting. It's it's such a pod. We're in such a podcast podcast culture. world. Yeah, it's very strange, but cool. I like podcasts. Um, so uh, speaking of PBQ's pages. You can go there and read the story in its entirety um, so that you will have a different perspective as you listen or jump on in and listen, whatever you want. But if you want to go read it now, we'll wait. Ha! Huh. I think I'll do that joke every time. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> All right. So, um, so Hunger by Carrie Donahue is what's up today. And um, let's just have at it. Hunger. I was going to say, because usually when we, when we talk about a poem, we read the whole thing, and everyone is, is kind of hearing us read it, so they're having kind of that experience of how we saw it maybe differently than they would have seen it when um, they were actually reading it themselves. And I know I was, once, I was once observed teaching fiction, and I was told that I should have my students read the entire short story out loud that was being workshopped, and I kind of thought, like, this, I actually thought that my colleague was incredibly lazy because I was like, that would take up the entire class. That would take like, up that the would entire class. So I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit about the difference between talking about poetry and fiction first? Sure. Uh, you know, we only d discussed one other fiction piece and we debated while we were recording whether or not we should give a synopsis. And um, I guess we do need... Maybe with fiction, uh, you can't just jump right in and say hunger, and you need some context. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Um, I, I mean, I'd love to hear a synopsis. You can give a synopsis if you want. I feel like Tim is a better synopser. 
You want to do it, Tim? This is, we're all we're all bouncing well, this to each other because we're not prepped. This, but let's go. The story is about a woman who is um, running out of time to have a child, and her husband, who's now had taken on this obsession of um, of pursuing professional eating, and he's goaded on by his sort of uh, Napoleon Dynamite-ish brother, <laughs> or at least Napoleon Dynamite's brother, brother. Where they're pursuing this crazy idea that, that is just plausible enough to be, um, to be a possibility. Now, so um, gradually, Glory, the woman who wants to have a child, begins to realize that this it's just not going to happen. And she's not going to have a child with this husband of hers. And uh, she seems disillusioned at the end. And that's basically what's what's going on in the story. But doesn't doesn't she get pregnant by the brother? Uh, Spoiler alert, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are not supposed to reveal the ending? Yes, she does. She, she gets she sleeps with the brother and um, and she, she gets pregnant. Not with her husband, she gets pregnant with her brother. And well, we can't know for sure, for sure, but we, we don't know for sure, for sure. Yeah, that way the attempt has happened. So, I guess, I guess we should have told Jason not to give any spoilers that part of the joy of fiction is not knowing the ending before you go in. Sorry, no, that's a pretty big detail, but yeah, we, she doesn't get pregnant from the husband, and so that part is a failure between them. And um, if she is pregnant, if she's pregnant with her brother's seed then um <laughs> tell us brought up preacher's son because i had to say I, th I thought that was beautifully handled the way that that you know that that her fixation on realizing that you know maybe the sterility or the infertility is the result of her husband buick and then moving to the brother it felt so um understandable and so yeah. i don't know identifiable and relatable mm -hmm. at the same time that it was insane like you know you're you're you totally understand this character but you also are like just like no <laughs> like no, no yeah yeah i mean that's that's toward the end but that's a great place to start right. it was that moment is so organic that i uh, that i i do not see anyone judging her negatively like, you know, this is such an obsession for her at this moment in her life. And um, she will get pregnant by any means possible. You know, she's having sex with Buick as much as possible in as yucky as yeah. <laughs> situation <laughs> as one can. Uh, you know, they do. She does seem to love him. And I still see why she would go to Sterling to get impregnated. Uh, it doesn't feel like she's cheating on Buick. It feels like she's getting pregnant. She says for Buick. <laughs> you know? yeah. 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 It feels also so. in a way that she's saving him his pride. Right. Yes. And right. in a way doing him a favor. Right. Like, please, for Buick, for Buick. And then he leads her away to his car. Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's start with good things. So Jason says that move, you know, felt very natural and, and, um, and right. Like the thing that this glory character would do and maybe even should do. I don't want to put too much language in your, on you, Jason, but one of the things that I really appreciated about this piece was the characters themselves. I thought they were so fresh 
so 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 well fresh is the same thing as things we don't normally see i mean you know caveat to our listeners there are so many we get so many pieces of fiction that are about teachers right right uh, the thinly veiled protagonists and uh it was just such a relief to have um entree into this other world and all three of them the three main people i would you know are glory the wife buick the husband and sterling the brother um they were all uh, really well drawn and full rich characters mm -hmm. and not you know i mean maybe sterling gets a little stereotype -y, but i still fully see him as i mean people there are people that are stereotypes right <laughs> that's how we get stereotypes in the first place i i i was really just drawn in as much as her dilemma just watching these people in their life and seeing these three main characters i i dug that I really like the concept of, I mean, I think most people are, maybe I shouldn't assume this, but it reminded me of the spoken word poem, The Shrinking Women, um, because as Buick's getting like larger, he's trying to prove his masculinity um, to glory. He's trying to be, you know, like the home bringer, like he's trying to, the breadwinner. Um, and then Glory's constantly trying to shrink herself to be feminine enough um, to, be the perfect person, even though it seems almost contrary because you would think to prepare yourself for a baby, you'd want to be as healthy as possible. But I love the sentence um, where it says, it was a cleaning the house for a new guest. The less she ate, the more inviting it would be for newcomers. And that's just so, um, such a, I guess it's, it's just, it's wrong. And you, you're in that mindset that she's just so obsessed with having this baby that she'd do anything even destroy herself yeah yeah i mean that's an important thing to note the woman glory is going through a huge eating disorder period in her life as well she's eating very very little um exercising whenever she can randomly doing push-ups against sinks to and counting the calories she burns with every move all in preparation for this baby this this getting smaller um and that that's really an interesting aspect of the momentum of this piece too mm -hmm. uh it's not solely here's a woman trying to get pregnant here's a woman trying to get pregnant and she's got this going on and that going on and her husband is that going on you know i do love that the weight gain and the weight loss of these characters is a testament of their incompetence <laughs> because the way she's going about trying to get pregnant is not by stressing out and starving yourself that's how you get your your um, machinery to shut down. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, and the same thing with with Buick. I, you don't usually see many obese people winning these these eating contests. I mean, they, I'm sure they're bulimic. Usually, you just stretch your stomach. I'm guessing you stretch your stomach out. You throw it up. You stretch it out. Throw it up until you can stuff a hundred hot dogs. Sterling mentioned that and about that. the small dogs. And So if he's getting fatter, that doesn't mean he can eat more. <laughs> that just he's means got the he's actually wrong. keeping it all down. Yeah, that's not. He's just gonna stay, stay bloated. He's gonna so, eat. So, and it's it actually really hard for me to read the eating passages. Like I, I, I cannot like, uh like competitive eating horrifies me. And like, like 
Oh, and and do you know about like Prater Willie? It's a it's an um, it's a disorder where you never feel full. Like it's sort of like the Elvis thing where you have like two like, but the, but people who like kill themselves by eating too much. Like you can actually kill yourself by like like tearing open your stomach by eating too much. Oh, and, oh, those, those, it was so hard for me um, to read those scenes, and they were so beautiful. And I kept thinking of it as kind of like the whole story feels like Raymond Carver for the age of reality television. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like. <laughs> I love that. I I have to, you know, I have to provide for the family, so I'm going to be a competitive eater. And, you know, her obsession is not just with being pregnant and having a child, but with being beautiful as she's pregnant. That she's so obsessed with, you know, like she's going to be the skinny woman with a perfect pregnancy belly, and she's going to look ideal through pregnancy. And it was just, I mean, their awareness of kind of the external image of themselves that's yeah. just being out their internal lives. Oh, right. I was really moved by that. Yeah. And, you know, there's another layer to Glory as well. Do you guys remember? She works in a salon. Mm-hmm. She's waxing hair off people. Her hair's falling out. And her, well, yeah, as her own hair falls out from the, from the lack of nutrients. But she's waxing people. She does nail and hair. And... So she's beautifying others mm-hmm. and, and internalizing this, uh, this need to be perfect, as Jason said, in a, in a way that's gone terribly wrong. That's right. what made me cringe. When I wrote, I wrote cringe in a few spots. Um, some of them were the competitive, competitive eating parts, but um, other parts were when Glory talks about herself having sex and about her fat jiggling and about yeah. um, all of those things. And one particular part, um, towards the end on page 14 where it says her hip bones had started jutting out again which looked good with the low-rise jeans she bought from the teen section at Kohl's and then she talks about how she looks like a high school junior or a sophomore and that's what she wants to achieve that level of thinness even though it's so irrational mm-hmm. that made me cringe yeah I do admire Buick's uh, venture into competitive eating admire yeah because it's one of these things where you just have this crazy idea of some way to make a living and i think he could find an angle at it i don't know i don't know what the circuit's like with professional eating and it seems like they've got it all wrong like having this this contest in their living room but i guess if you've got enough people to to come to your house and you could start getting bigger uh, venues that you would get some attention and you would meet the right people and you could really work your way to the top. And he doesn't seem to have many other ways to get to the top. And he, and he found, he, I don't think he has the gift. Clearly he doesn't have the gift, but he's, <laughs> but he, if you had the gift, you could do it. If you could, if you could eat 150 hot dogs in five minutes, somebody would call the news, somebody would document it. You'd be on ESPN next July with that little Japanese girl. Or you at least have a, video, or, a viral yeah. video or two. Yeah, you would, you, would, yeah. you would be able to make it. And I think that, I mean, I guess as a fiction writer, I sort of sympathize with him because it seems that crazy also when you're sending stories out for, for a number of years before you get any acceptances and you start to get some. And you think, oh, okay. You know, and, and I think it's, I, I really love the fact that he's going into this crazy, it's not even niche, it's like, micro niche of competitive eating and i and of course we love to read stories about people who fail at these i don't think he fails nobly maybe he does but 
I, I really think he's admire, still just beginning. I, I, I really admire the fact that he's just gunning for something. I also loved the fact that this story was at the beginning, because I feel like so much, and maybe this is more true of like 20th century drama than of 20th century fiction, but there's always like the secret, you know, there's something terrible that happened in the past, and when you figure out what it was, then the story can end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved being in on the ground floor of that. You know, I mean, you know that having become pregnant by her brother-in-law is going to eventually out itself and it's going to undermine and it's going to, you know, kind of have all these negative, terrible reproductions, repercussions. And it was so nice to kind of be in a story where that's actually happening. And you're like, oh yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And I totally see how you got there. Yeah. I kind of feel like the first half of the story could have been reduced to a couple of paragraphs. I feel yeah. like it kind of just, we, for, for the longest time, I think, okay, she wants to get pregnant. She thinks she's getting old. Okay, 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 okay. The brothers are losers. And I wish, I, I mean, I'm so fascinated by, I mean, I think this, this world of like, I mean, not just competitive eating, but amateur com- competitive eating is such an unbelievable spot for a fiction writer to, to dive into. Mm-hmm. That it's almost like um, the, the writer almost is guilty of just giving us a little peek when I just want to be thrown in the deep end of this, of this world of competitive eating. I love, I'm, I'm so jealous that I didn't come up with that. I, <laughs> but I want, I really feel like I just didn't get enough of that world uh-huh. and those, and the types that must be in that room. But see, I would argue that that's not the whole, that's not yes, the story. The story is about Gloria. It, I mean, glory and, and not, and Buick and, and his obsession, you know, over is a side plot or another through line. Yeah. But the story is about glory right. and, and we have a whole story about glory. You know, I think Buick is just starting on the competitive eating and he's going to keep going with it. I, I do think if I found out this were the first chapter to a novel, I would want to keep reading the novel. But um, I was definitely, I, I liked how long it took us to get to know Glory. And also that there was, I mean, it, the story caused a lot of attention. I mean, you can't read the story and not know that Glory has this weird eating disorder. Um, but I liked how little it seemed to factor into, like there was, there was no attention called to it in a certain yeah, way. Absolutely. On the first page, she's already snacking on ice cubes, you know, yeah. so we see yeah. it. But it's not the point of the story. It's another side thing. That's, I think, what I was saying in the beginning is the story is just so um, rich. You know, there are so many layers to it. And I love that the competitive eating doesn't happen for a while. Yeah. A while. I really like that a lot because it was like, whoa, this other plot starts in a way. And I, I really I really dug that. Um, when Tim said that we could cut down the beginning, I looked back and I think we need all of that build up in my opinion just because we get to know Glory as a character we get to know Buick's um Buick and Glory's marriage um all of the little things that make them who they are and we're really introduced to Glory's obsession and I it kept my attention the whole time and that's why I kept reading so I think that we can't really take out I'm trying to look now to see where I think um anything could be taken out and I really think most of it's um necessary, necessary to our understanding well, I mean, on page five, when, um, um, let me see. Yeah. 
So our readers won't have pages. Yeah. This will be one big scrolling docs, but. There's some moments in the dialogue when she's, um, when she's in her bra talking to him about uh, the, the issues at hand. And it kind of goes on and on, and I get the I get the I get the awkwardness of the feeling of her trying to turn him on and him being disinterested. And it for me it seems like this kind of stretch out so long where I I kind of find it a little bit tedious. But I I like the moment. Mm -hmm. So in my and so at that point I start turning on my editor's mind and I start just looking for lines I could cut where I could just heighten the scene with reducing some of the language because the characters are great. The situation's great. Um, I like the reverse weight issues and the competitive eating, but I feel like maybe, maybe 15 to 20% of the words could probably get cut out without losing any of the plot. And maybe along at the same time, heightening the voice and uh, but because there's so many wonderful little spots in there. I mean, just I'm looking at the um, you, the listener can't see it, but on page five, um, Sterling strode three steps from the front door to the kitchen table. Hey, sexy mama, you smell like whores. That that's how uh, Glory responds to them, and it's just so perfect because Sterling try is trying to to be lighthearted, and she just throws this amazing insult at them. You smell like horse. I've never heard anybody say that, but it's perfect. I'm going I'm to steal that the next time I talk to someone I don't like. And his response sounds about right. Yeah. That's what really gets yeah. me to. Yeah. Yeah. So well, he's fully unfazed. Yeah. I, I think yeah. this shows uh, their relationship, right? That epitomizes the relationship. And this is a spot it's the first dialogue we have with them. This is the spot to me that just like pops. Right. And I would just take out just a chisel and chip away a little some of the stuff that would make sure that that's heightened in the, in the stuff that doesn't need to be there is left on the floor. I like this pro relationship we get um, between Buick and Sterling that kind of so the second dates Planned Parenthood how romantic just like that I get I really get that yeah. like um, I don't I can't there's no adjective other than like being a bro I guess mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> they're actual brothers and they're they're pros yes <laughs> that's a, the hyper masculinity mixed with um, glory trying to emulate what it means to be the perfect woman and mother I think is is really great I love the passage where she talks about what it's going to mean to her to be a good mother She's like she'll she'll let him drink, but just one hard cider and just in the house, and it's oh, it, it's so, it's so deep inside the fantasy, right? It's so delusional mm -hmm. to think that you know you can control these aspects of your child, eighteen to twenty years later, but or sixteen yeah. to twenty years later, but um, but how? But also, how could you not, right? I mean, how can anyone not imagine what they would be like as a parent? Yeah, I thought I thought I loved that as well that not only she's picturing so many moments of she names the baby and she's not even pregnant, right? Mm -hmm. She genders it, names it, and she's picturing Herschel having ski lessons and the Christmas card with the turtlenecks and and and, and that that apple cider thing was really amazing, the hard cider thing cuz mm -hmm. it was such a projection. She's just fantasized the whole life, right? She's got the whole thing down. Uh, she rereads chapters of what to expect while you're expecting. 
she's absolutely willing this to happen, right? My favorite part is, um, well, they don't have page numbers, but page 10 for our purposes. Um, and then she wouldn't get pregnant. And then all her aunties and cousins and neighbors who were always six months and glowing would secretly look down on her as less than a woman or worse as the woman who can't have a baby, poor thing. Just the idea that getting pregnant is the goal in her life. And if she doesn't achieve that, then what kind of woman is she? And I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, the first half for me, I, I like all that stuff, but I kind of get it after about a page and a half. I'm not surprised by any of the information that happens after that. So I feel like um, it could be pared down. Well, I guess I'll disagree. I think maybe, maybe I don't know. I just I didn't mind being in Glory's head that you know. Yeah. On the same page, Buick has been so um, yucky, right? In the in the first sex scene, he burps in her face. Okay, so yeah. that's yeah. Buick, right? That's uh, he's. I think, like I said earlier, she does love him, but I don't think I do. <laughs> and I and uh, on. On page 10, she has, they're having sex, and, and she says, Glory always liked to watch his climax because she wanted to remember exactly what his face looked like at the moment they made their baby. It would be her private snapshot. I don't know, that was stunning to me. Yeah, I, I like that too. Jason, what? It's, it's heartbreaking because, yeah. you know, from the outside as the reader, you're so aware of how... Um, like just one, how delusional she is, how impossible these things are, but two, how deeply embedded in our culture these fantasies are. And I think that the story, it would, it would be very easy to write this story or read this story in a way that kind of looks down on them and thinks of them as like the losers of our culture. Like, oh, these are the people who've gotten the wrong messages. These are the people who, you know, are getting everything, um, you know, through this like filter of, reality television and inaccuracy, but they're not, I mean, they're not caricatures and, and every, everything she wants is so heartbreakingly um, reasonable at the same time that you know it's impossible. And so it's, it's, it's a real tension for, for me as a reader where I both kind of respect and love this person, but also kind of see you know, things are not going to go the way you're expecting them to, but then also thinking like, okay, so what do I think is going to go a certain way for me that isn't? What, what are, it, it kind of reflected me back into my own delusions mm. in, in a way that I found really satisfying. And I did, I will say, when I was doing data entry, uh -huh. uh, I worked with a woman who reminded me so much of this character who was so desperate to be pregnant and would take pregnancy tests like every day at lunch and we'd eat like two um, McDonald's value meals like at lunch and and like and it was the opposite of glory in that sense that she was always like she talked endlessly about her hunger and how her hunger and her ability to eat had to be proof of her pregnancy oh god <laughs> like devastated every time she came out of the bathroom not being pregnant but it was like it was like a four day cycle like you know, it was, it was, it was like, should it be like a monthly cycle? Like, and, but I don't know, like, and that, and that person is no one I've ever seen kind of 
reflected in fiction. And I don't, I'm not even sure I could write about her without looking down on her. Like, yeah. I don't think I could write about her without making fun of her. Um, and I think the story kind of captures that experience I had with that particular person in a, in a way that sort of, um, I thought would just be kind of lost to my days of working at Manpower. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! 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 Oh she god! Oh she god! Oh my 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 god! All right, so, so when you're temping, basically men work in warehouses and women do data entry. So I was doing data entry with the women. <laughs> and she had a fight with the receptionist at the warehouse where her husband works because she was convinced that, like, she was, like, I mean, it was unbelievable. Um, she wouldn't take a higher-paying job because she would have been paid biweekly instead of weekly. So she could and buy she, she was yeah. doing laundry at her parents' house. She put down her mother as a housing reference when she decided to move in with her husband, who her parents didn't know she was married to, and was surprised when the apartment complex called her mother. Like, she, she kept it secret from her mother that she was married, but she put her mother down as a housing reference and then was surprised when they... I mean, it was... Like, like I said, I could not write about her without making her sound incredibly stupid. Yeah. It's such an accomplishment. Honestly, when I read this, um, I told one of the interns when I was reading it that um, it really reminded me of uh, Chuck Palahniuk's story in that all of the things that happened are so outrageous, like, but it's still believable yeah. to me. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like when I first read it, I'm like, this is ridiculous, but I still am in the character's head and I don't look down on them. It's kind of this neutral view and I believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if we, we said this clearly about Buick. I feel bad now that I said I don't want to have sex with Buick. But I want to say that I really, Buick is also endearing to me. I, I am endeared to him. You know what I mean? I, I want the best for Buick and Gloria. I really do. I think he wants the best. He just doesn't know, he doesn't know how to go about getting it. You know? I don't know who I if I should say this, but I'm thinking about Yusuf Kumanyaka's poem, Love Letters, which is about a husband who doesn't know how to love his wife. And he, his attempts, uh, he is abusive and his attempts to love are ineffectual, right? And I'm thinking about that poem because Buick reminds me of that man, like, I know, I'll become a competitive eater. Like, what, you know? But he's still doing it with the best of intentions. It's weird, it's bizarre, but the way it's drawn here, the way Carrie Donahue has drawn it, it's believable, and I want him to succeed. And, and like, if these people were in your life, I, I would want to fix them. Like, if these people were yeah. in my life, like, I would want desperately to fix them. Yes. And, like, something about the story lets me just kind of love them yes and enjoy them and like yeah and like you said like root for them like i feel like this enormous compassion for them 
Yeah. Even Sterling, this, um, you know, misogynist, uh, ladies man type of guy. I don't know if I call him a ladies man. Like, I guess like he thinks he's a ladies man. Um, but even towards the end, I was feeling kind of, I don't know. I, I empathize with him because he just wants to help his brother too. Like he's not going to do it because it's his brother. And then she says, do it for him for Buick. And then he's like, yeah, sure. I'll do it because he wants the best for his brother. And it's amazing that I can empathize with a character that I would hate so much in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So kudos to Carrie Donahue for that alone. Yes. Right. The, the, I think that I, I know I'm just harping, but that I keep coming back to just these characters sure, themselves. Yeah. yeah, they're really good. Well, no, guys. Are we? Um. Should, I don't. Oh, I'm, I'm like you know. We all went. Oh, Jason, you revealed the whole thing. What do you think of the ending? That was the one small problem I had. I really disliked. Um, I think it came very fast and um, I don't know if that's just me but Glory stumbling into the kitchen and smelling the milk and um, the sour tang spoiling her kitchen her life her world and I just don't like that last line at all I think it's because um, it kind of ties it up I guess I don't, uh -huh. that's why I don't like it okay I think stumble is kind of an easy image it does it is rushed and I think it, I like that the milk doesn't smell very good, but it's too obvious here. It's just like yeah. the milk smells bad in my life. Yeah, that's that's exactly sucks. what I meant. Yeah. And uh, tell, finishes it for us instead of leaving it a little more. Mm -hmm. uh, well, letting it letting it resonate a little more. I mean, let's let's think about this for a minute. She t she finds out she's pregnant, walks home thinking about how perfect her life is, mm -hmm. walks in. To, to a house filled with these dirty, huge contractors and, and who are having this eating contest in her own home. And that's what makes her reel and stumble into the kitchen. And, and now her life has soured, right? Like the and just in the moment, she got what she wanted. She is pregnant. And then she walks in the house. This is what's going on in the house. And she is thrown. I, I like that. I yeah. just don't like how fast it happens. And you know Sterling's going to talk about it. Right. I mean, you know he's going to tell his friends. Do friend. you? Yes. Sterling's a douche. <laughs> Sterling is I... absolutely <laughs> Yeah, Sterling's going to get drunk and spill the beans. Yeah. Oh, First God. fight. First fight with... Uh, no, don't give Sterling... Sterling no, guys, guys, guys. Well, here's, here's, here's some textual evidence of why Sterling <laughs> is not the <laughs> story. Um, he throws the competition yes, to yes, Buick. Okay. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's a generous man at heart. He throws the competition to Buick, and he catches eyes with Glory in the moment of him pretending he can't eat anymore, so that Buick will win. In seven, boom, in seven, boom. Boom. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> for seventy-two hours, he can be a stand-up guy. For twenty years, not so much. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, what I, What I do love about that about the ending is. Um, how fragile the illusion of a positive life is. And I, and I also kind of felt like that's, that's true for all of us. I mean, you know, like there are plenty of days where I think everything's going really great and it's like, oh, right, like this is happening. Um, the milk, ah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was, I, I didn't believe that she was no longer able to tell that the milk had spoiled. 
was like, yeah. I, I think you know that milk is still spoiled. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I guess it's pretty obvious I love this story. Let's just put that spoiler alert out there. Um, that last line is, is wee melodramatic for me. That's, that's the criticism I would give it. Yeah. Not that I don't believe that would actually be the scenario. And I don't think it was rushed. I think it makes perfect sense that she gets what she wants, opens her door, the reality of her life smacks her in the head, and that's the story. I get it. You know what I mean? I, what Jason said earlier about Raymond Carver and the age of reality television is perfect. I agree with you also that it's, it's Polonic-esque in these regards. Um, but that last line is, is a little, a little um, knocking me on the head, you know? Right. So. So, didn't ruin it for me, though. But it doesn't ruin it. Yeah. There's too far too much good yeah. um, leading up to that line. And it's not the scene, it's the line. Yeah, it's just for me. I mean, I thought it was a little rushed, though, but I do, that line, like, really was not my, my thing. But other yeah. than that, I'm, I'm fine the way it is. Okay. Are we running out of gas? Are we ready to vote? I'm ready to vote. Oh, wait, wait, Joe, Joe, our audio engineer has a word. Um, it's, is it not a callback to the shampoo? The freshness of the shampoo was hopeful, and now the sourness of the milk shows the reality right. that the she's baby shampoo. Yeah. I'm not saying that it makes it any better. I'm just saying it is at least referencing yeah. the earlier part of the story. Yeah. She likes to sniff stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a magical thinker. You know, right? It reads something into the sniffing. She's a melodramatic person, though. <laughs> I can imagine her be like, my life, my world, and so uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, Joe. Okay. Shall we? Yeah. Okay. One, two, three, vote. <laughs> Yeah, and it's in. Woo! I'm so happy. I'm so happy that we have this piece. Um, I was so yes. scared today. Yeah. I was were you? I'm like, we're discussing this piece. I really wanted to. I, I did too. I was a little nervous as well. Uh, we, we were not unanimous. We will not name names, but we were not unanimous. Uh, but, but it's in, and, um, and I couldn't be happier. So thank you, Carrie Donahue. And... Um, uh, again, our uh, our brave listeners, you can read this on our podcast pages if you haven't. Um, I'd like to uh, keep everybody another minute. And um, speaking of being happy, I'm really happy this story got in. Got in. But I'm wondering, um, Tim, if anything, I'm stealing this line. I am stealing this line boldly and brazenly from Pop Culture Happy Hour which is one of my favorite podcasts. Uh, toward the end, as part of the wrap-up, um, the host asks everybody to say, what is making them happy this week? And so I'm asking you, what's making you happy this week, Tim? Well, um, the only thing, I can't think of anything in pop culture that's made me happy in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, long, it can be time, something but, you're reading that's but, not new. Oh, you know... Something that's making me very happy is um, the last month I've been, for the third time, but I've been reading George Orwell's Coming Up for Air. Wow. And I, um, every once in a while when I'm reading it, I just have to put it down and keep myself from bursting into tears. I love it so much. 
So George yeah. Orwell's, and I think it's a, it, right now I think I like it, uh, it's, it's, I especially like it because he's writing it from the point of view of a man on the cusp of World War II, looking at back at life before World War I. And it seems like this book is especially poignant now because it reminds me of life before 9-11, all the things, the way I grew up, catching frogs and living life without cameras all around and uh, how impossible that life would be and how terrified I would be now if I was a kid, not being able to live, you know, wild in the woods of Alabama. Um, so right now I really am crazy about that book, George Orwell's Coming Up for Air. Perfect. Well, mine is not as profound <laughs> as that, but um, I'm super into Marvel comics and the, the new Spider-Man Deadpool number eight issue just came out and that made me insanely happy. <laughs> if you haven't read that series yet, I highly recommend it. Um, I'm a huge Deadpool fan um, and Spider-Man fan, so seeing them team up has been hilarious considering they both have those... Um, their humor is very similar. Spider-Man and Deadpool, they have those really cheesy one-liners they throw out a lot, and I um, am enjoying it a lot. So Fabulous. Wonderful. Jason, you got anything, or are you just sullen? All right, so I'm going to have a highbrow and a lowbrow. Okay. Um, the highbrow is I am very excited that Kristen Dombeck's um, book on the narcissism of others is coming out today. I'm going to the book party for that at Greenlight in Brooklyn. I'm, I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, and the other thing I'm going to go for is Stranger Things. And I kind of thought someone else would beat me to this. But I am loving Winona Ryder. And I am loving this, like, ridiculous, like, 1980s Stephen King, Steven Spielberg mashup of... Um, spooky adventurous kids it's it's a great and, and Winona Ryder I mean come on she's amazing yeah I love Winona Ryder and she's so good in this she's so so good um, I'm waiting for the moment to catch up with that I've only heard such positive things from people that I really respect and usually have you know a like aesthetic with so I, I want to jump in on that for sure there's just too like, much television right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what, what's the other HBO thing everybody's going crazy for? The Night Of? Yeah, The oh, Night Of I haven't I seen at all, and people are going, you know, gaga for it. And Can I add uh, one more thing? Of course. So last night, we just got off the road from coming back from Maine. For some reason, from the Merritt Parkway all the way down to the bottom of 195, there's no sign that tells you the mileage to Philadelphia. So I got home exhausted, and I... I clicked the link to Bo Jackson's 30 for 30, the ESPN special. It was an hour and a half long that I started at midnight. And uh, that's going to make me happy for a month. Okay. So, so if you have any spare time, or if you don't have spare time, the Bo Jackson is <laughs> a, a wonderful hour time. and a half. What's time? Um, okay, I'm going to put a plea out there to our listeners because um, uh, it's been out for so long. but. Um, I taught the memoir uh, for the second time this summer. Uh, it's still finishing up, but we read um, the classic Mary Carr's The Liars Club. And we read um, Brandon J. Sullivan's um, what Rivington Was Ours, which is uh, a story about uh, Lady Gaga's. It's told Brandon J. Sullivan was Lady Gaga's DJ. 
and the last year before she became the Lady Gaga we know, right? So, um, so in talking about those things with my students, I talked about, well, what do you really think? Should I use these again? Because I'm always very open to changing up books. And um, so the plea to the readers, to our listeners, is I need another choice of a memoir written by somebody 30 or younger that is not about tragedy. You know, memoir, when you just read all the memoir selections, it's always a tragedy, a tragedy, a tragedy. And I knew The Glass Castle um, by Jennifer Wells was a tragedy, but I decided I wanted to read it anyway and see if I wanted to switch from that, from, from the Mary Carr. And um, it's gorgeous, and I can see why it was on the bestsellers list. As long as it was, I was utterly compelled. But um, uh, so that made me happy to read this book, even though it was about something so horrible um, as the life that she led as a child. Uh, so memoirs by people under 30, not in celebrities, though. Not in celebrities. That's what I'm asking you for. And, um, yeah, and that's it. That's it for me. Kind of living in that world right now. Memoir, memoir, memoir. Um, so I want to tell our listeners to please go to the corresponding Facebook page for this episode and tell us what they think. You can always email us directly with your thoughts as well. Um, you can sign up for our email list and you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope and we'll send you a PBQ podcast Lush Pal sticker. We rock it old school in that way. Um, and I guess uh, be happy and read on. Thank you. This podcast is produced through a joint venture of Drexel University's Office of Information, Resources, and Technology and the Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. This podcast is the property of Painted Bride Quarterly Magazine. All rights reserved.